Welcome to episode six of Shifty Perspective. In this episode, we're joined by TEDx speaker, best-selling author, and film director, David Simpson. Make sure to stay tuned for an insight into his filmmaking process and the possible outcomes of future AI integration with humanity. Our guest today on episode six is a film director. He has six books, I believe, um, best-selling author, and he has spoken on TEDx. He is David Simpson, and he is live with us now, all the way from Canada. Hey, David, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me, Ash. Uh, it's, uh, it's seven books right now. Seven uh, books. <laughs> well, are, are these... Um, eight. You're working on eight. Are, they, are these all in, your, uh, in the same series? Uh, no, I've got uh, five in the post-human series, and then another book called Dawn of the Singularity, and then uh, another book called The God Killers, which is like a, a horror novel but uh, the rest of them are science fiction okay are your books all fiction uh yes yeah okay they're all all fiction and uh, do you have any um plan on writing any non-fictions at any point um i at, at some point maybe but uh right now my focus is on the is definitely on the uh the fiction it's definitely on the novels and yes. then getting the novels uh actually turned into into movies um i i think of myself really as a storyteller so it's like uh i i absolutely love writing novels i'm definitely a novelist uh, i feel like yeah. i'm doing what i'm meant to do when i'm writing but at the same time when i make a movie i get the exact same feeling so how long did it take you to make your, because you've just finished, right, the, uh, your, your latest film, your full length, your first, this is your first feature mm. film, right? Yes. Yeah. How long has that been in the works for? Oh, a long time. It's actually now been, uh, we, we're starting to get those Facebook notifications. It's sort of uh, funny to see uh, from the first days of filming in 2016. So it's oh. four years ago. Uh, we finished the movie and um we finished it back in the fall, but it took three and a half years. Uh, it was uh, it wasn't three and a half years of filming, obviously, but it was uh, the post production took quite a while. Um, but uh, but it was because the post production was uh, just just really me and and my wife and and the actors as far as lending their their voices to uh, ADR afterwards when you you know when you dialogue yeah. with place. Um, but, uh, but other than that, it was us and we, we learned everything. Um, I'm really glad we did. I love the way it worked out. Uh, but, uh, but to get the, to become professional at everything, uh, <laughs> it, took, it, took a while. it took a while. So how did you actually learn? Did you just learn as you go, as you went with everything? Uh, yeah, I think in a way, I mean, I, when I, when we started the movie, uh, there's a great thing about ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is uh, if uh, if you knew more, you might not try some things. And uh, mm -hmm. and so uh, when when we started the movie, we felt because I'd done uh, a short film. I'd only that's the only other thing I'd done, and it, and the short film was a a proof of concept uh, for the the posthuman uh, novels. And, uh, and it was only five minutes long, so it had a lot of VFX. Um, going through the, the process of 
trying to make that. And I was trying to do it working with um, uh, production companies that are, are here in Vancouver. Um, I couldn't help it. The, the training that I have from writing the, the science fiction novel series um, is uh, about digital technology and, and technological trends and uh, the advancement. And, uh, and I'm looking at the way that movies are being made and I'm thinking uh, there's just so many there's so many ways that this could be improved, especially with the technology that was just coming online at the time. So uh, I eventually, uh, I convinced my wife to let me try this. Uh, I, I convinced her that we could, we could actually make it on our own. And we did, uh, it did really well. And it got uh, a lot of, a lot of press. And, um, and then it got me contacted by uh management 360 in, in Hollywood and, um, and they wanted scripts. And so, I mean, it was, it was pretty successful, but I was also thinking that the, you know, the one component that we weren't able to, um, that the technology wasn't, wasn't quite there for us to do just in-house uh, on the level that we needed was, um, was VFX. We still would need visual effects help with a big, big budget worthy science fiction movie. Uh, Isn't that the most expensive part? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, okay. and and would would be the most complex. But we felt that we could um, we could make a movie um, with the, that that was based in the present, um, and uh, is it, you know, so you're not having to pay for costumes or or giant sets uh, or VFX really. Um, that, that there was nothing really stopping us anymore uh, from reaching the level of, of uh, productions that cost a lot more. Um, and, uh, and that's what we did. So we, I, I wrote uh, the psychological thriller that's dangerous to know um, and somehow convinced a few actors <laughs> to go along with it <laughs> uh, and found locations. And, um, and then we filmed and then the post-production started, but it, it remained... Uh, you know, one thing after another, learning that particular, uh, crossing that bridge when we, when we came to it. So something like sound design. Um, and yeah, we did it. We just knocked them out one at a time. Great. And did you do all of that from Vancouver and from your, your house? Did you do the editing at home or did you rent out like a studio or? Uh, right here. Uh, pretty nice. much everything happened right here in the studio. Cool. Uh, and, um, and this, this is in, in my house. So just a second bedroom basically converted into post-human media uh cool. and uh and the the as far as the filming goes it was it was vancouver and then uh we filmed in pemberton british columbia it's two hours north it's a very small very small but very beautiful little town and uh we i think about half the movie takes place there so we're able nice. to use the incredible natural landscape uh to our to our advantage it's uh it's beautiful I saw the, tra I think there's a few trailers out, right? I... Yeah, there's a couple of trailers. There's yeah. a, a short 90 second one, and then there's one that's uh, just under four minutes long. Uh, I think I've seen that one. Yeah. Quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks like it's going to be pretty <laughs> thrilling. It looks quite dark, um, almost macabre. Yeah, it's it should scare you. Hopefully you'll be scared. Uh, it's... Um, it, it's uh, we did that Kickstarter uh, back mm -hmm. in um, that was in December and January, and uh, I wanted to make sure that 
people could get a, a decent chunk of footage so that they, you know, when you hear about how the movie's made immediately, you're thinking, well, like, I mean, it can't be good then, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, um, but it is actually really pretty good, but I needed to, uh, I needed to make sure that I showed some clips and, um, and that's why we put out the second trailer, the four minute one to, to really, uh, show that we're not, we're not tricking you. It's, it's not a series of, you know, really quick shots and that's it, uh, enough to give people the sense that, yeah, the quality is real. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it is, I really can't wait for people to see it. Um, and it, they probably would have seen it or some people would have seen it by now in a, in a festival if, you know, the apocalypse. There were festivals <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the apocalypse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is, uh, is there a release date in, in the pipeline? Is that, do you know when that will be or are you waiting till everything is finished with this? Yeah. Current? Great question. But there's, well, First, no, there is no release date, but uh, the movie's ready. It's uh, it's a matter of um, getting distribution, and and so we're exploring some things because the film festivals are are physically canceled, but some of them are still digital. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them may not be canceled. So, for instance, uh, we're submitting to TIFF, so the Toronto International Film Festival, I think in the next day or two, because I think the deadline's on the 29th. Um, and then our hometown, uh, Vancouver International Film Festival as well. And then Sundance just opened and that's all the way in February. So, uh, they yeah, and it, so they haven't canceled yet. So we'll see. But at the same time, we are looking for streaming too. And so uh, the, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm, things have changed. Like uh, Prior to this, I really wanted a, a theatrical release. And that's really the, the holy grail. And that would be the... I mean, just the, the, the cherry at the end of this um, beautiful cake of an experience uh, right on top. But, uh, um, but now streaming is actually pretty terrific because uh, the, the amount of people that are watching things online um, is, is skyrocketed. So, um, so streaming is something that we're actually really open to now and it would just depend which, which service we're, we're a fit with. So if we get a good situation prior to um, one of the festivals, then we, we would be open to that for sure. Do you, how does that work? So if you, you've made a film, um, uh, uh, do you then have to get an agent or do you just reach out yourself? What, what kind of um, steps do you have to go? Yeah, uh, it, it might be a, a circumstance where it ends up we need an agent. Um, I, I've got the potential to have a manager if I if I so choose um, and I may end up going with that uh, for now what we've been doing is uh, um, we've been exploring things on our own and making connections and the connections we've made are really cool and I wish I could talk more about it <laughs> <laughs> but secret, they're secret yeah because we've got a, a a screener that's out there um and okay. uh, and and what's really another thing that's really cool about uh, the digital um, revolution with, with film is that, um, you can, you know, when you, when you put something online, you can get analytics and see when it's being watched and where it's being watched. And so we know that, uh, some really famous people, like, you'd know who they were if we said, well, uh, have seen it, right. but we just don't want to, we don't want to spoil it yet. No, in case of course not. Use their name in. <laughs> yeah, work. you don't want a lawsuit from <laughs> and kind of ruin years of work, essentially. So 
So yeah, and they're being so good to just actually um, watch it. It's uh, it's we have to remind ourselves, and um, you know, my my wife Jenny and and I will sometimes just be saying to each other, "Can you believe so and so watched our <laughs> movie yesterday?" And it's uh, it's hard it's hard to get our heads around it. Well, what did you do before you did this? Before you well, before you started writing, um, like how long have you been doing this for? Because it's it's yeah an interesting trajectory. Um, you know, I've never really spoken to anybody who's actually gone down this path and 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 done well and doing well with it. You know, <laughs> it is it's a different trajectory. Uh, so uh, I I really I I've been writing um, and I've known I've wanted actually I'd, I've known I've wanted to be a writer since I was six. Nice. But uh, when I when I was in university, I was in uh, grad school, um, and this would have been in 2005. Uh, that was the first exposure that I had to uh, Ray Kurzweil, because uh, I, I believe his book, The Singularity is Near, came out that year. Um, I saw an, just a news article about it, actually, and then looked into it more. Um, but the news article itself was all I needed uh, for the inspiration for post-human that like the entire book uh, to come to me just right then. And it was the first time, cause I'd been in, uh, I went to the University of British Columbia and one of the things I was in, I, my, my degrees are in English literature, but okay. uh, but I was in creative writing and, um, and it, you know, I, I really, I loved writing, but I knew I didn't have that story yet. The one that was just, aha, this one, and people would want to read this. Um, but that night I knew, and it was one, it's like falling in love, I guess. I knew this was the thing. Uh, and so I, I wrote out the whole outline and, and the first uh, two chapters that night, which are almost exactly what is in the book to, to this In one day. night. Yep. And oh, uh, well, yeah. And it was, uh, it, it, I don't know if I'll ever have a feeling like that again. I hope I will because it was so incredible. And then uh, that I had to pause that while I finished grad school because it's just so much work. But um, but I finished it right afterwards. I finished my thesis and I had become so disciplined when I was doing my thesis that I was promising myself on those, you know, because you're getting by on three and four hours of sleep every night and the stress is so high. And, and I promised myself uh, before I, I, I run out and start, uh, making some money, which would just be, you know, minimum wage kind of, kind of money at first. Uh, once I'm finished, I, I'm going to take the time I need like three weeks to finish that book. Uh, and, uh, and I did, uh, that was my, my treat. I finished it. So I had it finished in 2007. Um, but it was 2011, uh, late in 2011 when, uh, really the ebook revolution and the Kindle had, um, had, uh, taken hold enough that, uh, that I dared put my books out there. Um, so and it was, was that, uh, yeah. in 2007, were you, you just had it unpublished for yourself essentially? Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I sent it. I, I, this isn't even one of those stories where I could say I sent it to uh, a bunch of, you know, agents and publishers that rejected me. I, I couldn't get I couldn't get a single person to even read it. Uh, well, the, the responses were always um, science fiction doesn't sell. Uh, really? Is, yeah, this is pre Kindle. I mean, this is not true, but this is what the you know the industry knowledge at the time was that science fiction doesn't sell. But 
if you do sell a whole bunch, uh, come back to us. <laughs> oh, really? Then they want to slice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's um, like, yeah, sure. If you succeed without us, come back and we want some money. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so it, the, it was, uh, it was an, again, it was another news article. Uh, this time it was uh, an article. It was a, there was a, at the time she was 27 years old back in 2011. Amanda Hawking was uh, just this uh, young woman who wrote uh, fantasy, but she was the second person to sell a million copies of her of her ebook um now i think a lot of people have done it uh but uh i i realized then okay that's it this is that threshold where uh where ebooks are uh are a real player and yeah. uh, and so i went for it and uh i mean i was really excited in I think it was December was the first month that we had it up in 2011. And I, th I think I sold a little over hundred books, which to someone who's never sold any, it was like, wow, you know, uh, we, you don't get very much for that because we had to sell yeah. 99 cents. So we getting like 30 cents. It wasn't like I, I could maybe buy a pizza with what I, but, uh, <laughs> but then the next uh, month, I think we sold a couple thousand. Uh, and, nice. uh, and it was just, I, I, I think it was by, I think it was the middle of 2012 where I was starting to really think it's almost irresponsible for me to keep teaching um, because I got a, then I had a deal from a, a publisher uh, that was to write Donna Singularity. And, uh, uh, and, you know, I've got this deadline and I've got this advance. I, I mean, I, I think I'm a full-time novelist now. Congratulations. <laughs> that must've felt amazing. It, it did. It was a dream come true. It, it really was. Uh, thank you for reminding me of that, actually. When I'm working all the time, I kind of I have to remind myself how lucky I am. Uh, and then um, it was, uh, I, I wrote, uh, I think up until the fifth book in the post-human series. Uh, and then um, it was uh, then that I thought, you know, it's time for there to be some sort of proof of concept. And uh, and I really wanted to force the issue with uh, getting film, um, and uh, and that started that that journey into seeing that um, that there was a way to hack this and to to use the things that you and I uh, are so fascinated with and are interested in the, this accelerating return on um, digital technology and the fact that cameras are digital, uh, so they're like information technology now. Uh, you just saw this was this was the opportunity. It was actually possible to do this in an affordable way with uh, on, only a couple of people doing it. Um, but it, it's almost it unimaginable, like 15 years ago, to, uh, even even probably sooner than that. It's really, yeah, you, you have to have a, a crazy amount of money to to make a film. And, and even, even making some content online and stuff like that, like YouTube. Now there's so many people who have got millions of subscribers and they've just got a, a camera phone and they can make it work. It's it, it is incredible. You're, you're so right. I remember, uh, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was just before, uh, Ginny and I have been together a little over 10 years now, but when, I think it was just before we were, we got together, uh, YouTube upped it from, I think it was something like, uh, uh, four minutes to, Oh, you can have a 10 minute video now. <laughs> and there, there just, there aren't limits like that anymore. Being nope. able to put 4k and 8k, uh, the films really up on YouTube is just extraordinary. Um, and the fact that the cameras are, are cheap enough. Now, um, the camera that we used was, uh, 
an A7S II. Uh, there had there still hasn't been a successor. There's no A7S III yet, but um, but that A7S2. camera, yeah, it was a, it's a it's a, it was 4K. But the thing that was really incredible about it was that the sensor. Uh, is still still the best sensor in the in the business for low light. It, it had this great big uh, sensor that allowed uh, for us to write something where we could uh, film sequences outside in the dark, moonless nights, um, and it can see better than your eyes can. Uh, oh, that's uh, crazy! Yeah, it completely changed because you know the the Hollywood uh, look for those things is because because of film. And I understand this now working with some cinema cameras where the, you know, uh, where the sensor is small in the ISO, you can't go very high. The reason why they had those giant light balloons and everything, they blast everything and they fog the trees is because you, you wouldn't be able to see anything otherwise. Um, but with these mm -hmm. sensors, um, you can see, you, re you really can see better than, than your eyes can. And it gives you so much range and post to make things that look more realistic, but are also for us a lot more, a lot more frightening, a lot more frightening. Nice. Yeah. Did did that kind of give you any inspiration like on going thinking about your TED your TEDx mm -hmm. did that kind of make you think about the possibility of us integrating cameras in into our um into our vision you know oh, at some yes. point <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yes. I've thought about that a lot. Um I mean there's no question there's no question that we can uh I mean I'm not saying that we could do it right at this moment but mm -hmm. it, but that it's feasible for us to um in some way which way i, th I think there's a, a bunch of different ways that it could happen where we'd be able to uh, remarkably improve our our vision um and yeah that that is something i think about all the time because in the post-human series obviously the the characters are enhanced they're still uh recognizably human but yeah uh, but they but they are they are advanced and um and night vision is one of the things that they that they've got um nice. i'm looking forward to that <laughs> do you think that we have to be careful about the kind of the path that we go down with that kind of thing for i can uh, just off the top of my head i think in maybe police states i can imagine in somewhere like china you could have these um uh, if you have implants which affect your vision then maybe this could be used against you and you know whether that's against people's consent uh, or maybe um, collecting advertising data, that kind of thing. Is that something you see will, will be an issue? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that these things are, um, that any of these things are guaranteed or, or, um, mm -hmm. or it's, you know, it's written in, in stone that in the future there'll be all these abuses um, but it's, uh, technology is, is such a, such a double-edged sword, such a double-edged sword. So, um, unfortunately, I mean, I, yes, I, I think though there's probably going to be a, abuses. I mean, that's just a personal, um, I mean, there's no way for us to know, but, uh, it's yeah. just a personal hunch, unfortunately, that there will be some, um, but it's, uh, it's becoming, I mean, it's very exciting, but it is, it's becoming, uh, really difficult to predict, uh, even, even near future scenarios now as, yes. as we approach this moment at the, uh, the technological singularity, like we're, 
we're getting closer to having um, artificial uh, intelligence that is human level, and it'll be superhuman level not long afterwards. And it's it gets to be um, my, my the book that I'm working on right now is called Superhuman, and it'll be uh, out very soon. And it's really gigantic. And this is like a this is this issue is really important to me. It's um it's fictional superhuman is, and this is this, the sixth book in the, in the post-human series. Um, it's fictional, but at the same time, it uh, is very much informed by the kind of reading that I usually do, which is nonfiction. Like it, yep. For me, it's always uh, research. And, um, and I do think that for the people who, who would rather, you know, read an adventure and, and be invested in characters, uh, I, I'm always uh, inspired by the African writer Chinua Achebe said that um, that writers are teachers, and when I think about what what my you know my why is uh, like why why do I love writing and I, I love entertaining people I just love writing but ultimately it's uh, to help people see a little better uh, and to understand things a little bit more yes. um, and uh, and so. I'm dealing with in that book uh, the uh, the the prospect of a hard what they call a hard takeoff of um, artificial intelligence. So uh, you know things going badly very quickly, uh, and uh, you know it won't be a surprise to people who are reading the series because this is okay. yeah. in a parallel universe, and they know that they know that this happened already, and and this is the uh this is really the nitty-gritty like the the nuts and bolts of how it happened and how you know one thing that seems uh very innocuous can end up causing uh so many problems uh down down the line so so it's 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 a, it's a scary time there's no question yes. about it but uh also incredibly exciting and it and i think there's so many ways to get it wrong and so many ways to get it right so if anyone mm -hmm. tells you you know, it's a foregone conclusion that we're doomed or, or that we're going to make it for sure, uh, without any, you know, serious missteps. Um, I, I don't think that they're, I, I think they're either, uh, not fully informed yet and they need to learn a little bit more, or maybe they're just being disingenuous. I think maybe there's a, the, well, there'll be a bias because you have both sides of people that are very, I, I've spoke to a lot of my friends uh, about my kind of interest in, uh, especially with things like lo like longevity and life extension and and, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing side of things, and lots of people are very scared of it, and they have this very negative perspective. And then you also have on the other side people who are like, "Yeah, this is everything's going to be great," and you know, mm -hmm. I, I think there's probably going to there's going to be a balance. And in in the end, techno technology is technological development is inevitable. So like it's mm -hmm. going to happen, and it will either happen correctly, well good or bad but there's not really much we can do to to stop it so we have to just make sure we we check ourselves along the way i guess yeah yeah i, I there's a line in the series uh uh it's actually an ai that says well we've got to do the best we that the best we can that's what we've always done um and yes yep. and that's that's really it uh there i, I think people want and and it's understandable why people would want this uh, and and you know, obviously even just saying people means I'm broadly generalizing here, but um, I can understand why it would be very comforting, especially for people that are new to the subject. They, they would like, you know, a meme or something that will say, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't have to worry because of, 
Um, but it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, it, I mean, we've got, okay. So Elon Musk is working on Neuralink and, um, and so for anybody that's watching this, who's not aware of what that is, it's, uh, it, but if you're a if you're a fan of the post human series, sort of like the mind's eye, uh, but it's a direct interface between uh, computers and and therefore the internet and uh, and the human brain, um, and uh, and that goes along with uh, a philosophy that may turn out to be the the right way, um, and that is to to really make sure that uh, you know we become the the super intelligences and that we don't end up with a, a circumstance where an AI um, overlord or something. <laughs> exactly. The, the, a, the AI overlord, uh, the idea of, um, mastering something that is, uh, that is clearly far more intelligent than a human brain. And it, it just doesn't, I mean, I, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And, uh, that we see in the animal kingdom. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine, uh, you know, a dog mastering a, a person, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it just seems to me that, uh, as, as much as, um, it, it's called the control problem. It's the idea of, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're going to build something that will be able to make itself rapidly smarter than you, uh, how do you keep that from going out of control? And there's a lot of clever ways of um, maybe impeding it, but in the end, uh, I mean, how can it, how could a human being possibly conceive of what something that will be able to think in all kinds of ways that yeah. we physically, like we literally can't think in those ways. So, no. especially know, when, when you have like the internet, like at the tip, essentially this huge neural network. Um, so what well, the, the internet is like, a, almost like a mushroom, you know, like, uh, it's, a, uh, this mycelium network that spreads across the world and it will just teach itself and itself and, it's, and kind of exponentially grow. So what you can't really actually put a cap on it. So I guess it's like, what is it? If you can't beat them, join them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so in, in this book, uh, the, they try some things and the things sound like they, like they would work, uh, ways of, you know, like someone might say, well, we're not, of course, we're not going to give it access to the internet. Of course, you wouldn't do that. Um, but there, there are ways, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if something becomes sufficiently advanced, uh, it's going to be able to access, um, uh, you know, all of the information, uh, of our, of our species eventually. Um, so it's only, you know, it's really just a, a matter of time. Um, but I, I like how you put it. If you can't beat them, join them. Uh, I, I like that. Um, and you can imagine a, uh, a scenario, and I'm not sure exactly where uh, where Elon is ultimately planning on going with this, but um, but you can imagine a scenario where more and more of your brain is, uh, or more and more of your thinking, I should really say, is being done by an artificial component of your brain as opposed to your your organic brain. Um, you know, some people argue that that's already happening with uh, you know with you know, cell phones and um, the extension of our hands really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like it's... And, and there's things like, uh, you know, not remembering uh, phone numbers or not remembering street names and things that we've already a little bit offloaded yeah. uh, things to our devices. Um, but, uh, uh, but I, this, this would be taking it to this, 
extraordinary extreme. I, you can imagine a, a scenario where, you know, you haven't actually learned with your uh, organic brain um, new languages, but you can access them and yes. you can speak fluently. Um, and there's a lot of fascinating philosophical questions. Like, is, is that you um, or not? And if it, if it feels like it's you, maybe it's you. If you get to a, a point where uh, your organic brain is just doing this teeny tiny, I mean, we're talking like a like a little zero 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 one of your uh, of your thinking, then you start wondering, well, do we need that at all? <laughs> and and yep. at what point did you cross over uh, into being something else? Um, and and I don't I, I really don't pretend to have any of the answers. Uh, I I'm fascinated by the questions, and I really love to explore. And then I uh, I like to let characters have different viewpoints. And uh, and I really when a character's got that viewpoint, I really try to have that viewpoint when I'm writing that character. And I I don't really like to write villains. I I don't think I do. I I write uh, people who might see someone else as a villain, uh, and even the reader might see it. Um, but then three books later, realize they were right mm. and were justified. Um, because I, I feel that, uh, that that's maybe why the post-human series has such a broad uh, acceptance. It, it cross every walk of life, it seems. It just, it, I've got as many um, male as female readers, and um, it, there doesn't seem to be anything in particular about what country and uh, and especially uh, the thing I'm most proud of is just the political spectrum. Like there's just, it's all over the gamut. And, Interesting. Um, and I love that people have no idea and they will continue not to have any idea wh whether I'm a, you know, a hardcore um, liberal or conservative. Um, I, uh, I love that they don't know. It makes me, that's, that's exactly what I want because I don't want people to go into the books thinking there's an agenda, um, yes. you know, it's it, posthumans really not a polemic. Um, it's a, it's really an exploration of um, our species. Uh, so Ray Bradbury said that science fiction is, uh, is the history of our species birthing itself, which I always love. I thought it was so poetic. And, uh, and I, I, that's what I want. I, I just want the series to be um, an exploration of what we're going to be doing. Uh, rather than me telling everybody that they're that they're right or they're wrong. Well, I think it probably appeals to a, a broad spectrum because it gives potential insight. Because, like, of course, things can be politicized. There can be, you know, left or right developed technology. But in the end, this this uh, possibility of AI and of us becoming, yeah, transhuman, posthuman. It does skip political boundaries and does skip all these other boundaries, yeah, like geography and, and things like that. So I think it interests people because especially if you know what you're if you know what you're talking about in the sense of you've got the actual um well, obviously you have you've done your TED talks, you you're you mm. understand and research technology and where it's going. You really give an actual insight, I think, through uh through fiction, which is great for people, I think. Uh that's the that's the goal. I mean the, I guess the for me, if I've got a, a purpose, it's uh, I, I think story is is actually really important. And I, I think that when um, and I'm not saying all anthropologists do this, but when you learn 
in in high school or even elementary school, uh, it, it's just a common thing that they like to say that separates what really separates uh, human beings evolutionarily was the opposable thumb. And I've just always thought that that was um, that was just too just too instrumental. I, I think that uh, um, what really separates human beings from the other species is, um, I mean, if, we, if we're going to get really scientific, it'd be our neocortex. Yes. Um, but the extremely uh, tightly uh, wound spindle cells that allow us to think in directions that, uh, that as far as we know, no other animal can do mm -hmm. or can't do very well. Um, there are spindle cells in like dolphins and, I think dogs have a little bit and, and some, some, um, some different species of, uh, and chimpanzees and things like that. But, um, but we have so much more yes. and, and, uh, and so story is our greatest way of doing something that the other species can't do. Uh, and, and I think that we see the, uh, results of that in our technology. Uh, so the, the way that our civilizations are built, we're, we're able to teach our children very complex things. Uh, you know, not just how to like, you know, find a, a rodent that's hidden somewhere uh, and, and eat that and then have offspring yourself. And, and it's really not going anywhere. Uh, but with us, uh, because of the, the neocortex, we're able to build, well, you know, things like, like this, yeah. uh, and uh, and how incredible is that? But it's not as though you know one generation just we had nothing and came up with it. It's uh, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. Yes, definitely. Um, and uh, and so uh, it, I think whether it's um, fiction or nonfiction, I mean, really, what I'm writing about is something that uh, the concepts are all real. Uh, there isn't anybody in the in the stories that's and I've got no problem with this either. People want to do this. It's a different way of telling a story, but uh, there's no magic in it. Um, it's it's all based in um, theoretical or real uh, technology and uh, and you know it's speculative, but we're we're headed that way. And it's uh, and I love the philosophy and, and dealing with those things. I think those are the things that uh, you know, can help people who might think that if they're reading something and it's nonfiction or, or maybe they wouldn't want to wa watch a TED talk, uh, because they would think it was too dry. Um, but they may not, they may not realize while they're sitting there watching an adventure movie, uh, or reading something that looks like it's, um, just an exciting, you know, a lot of the reviews that are on the front, front page, like the front covers of my books will say it's, you know, it's a thrill ride or it's high octane, <laughs> but, uh, but yet they learn and teaching you something for sure. Yes. There's an impact there and that's what gives it meaning to me. Do you find, uh, has there been anything that you have written about, um, that you've had a, a hunch or technology that has basically developed in real life outside of your book? So, uh, that you've covered earlier on and then you found it, um, yeah, it, it's, you're watching it develop outside of the book. Uh, yeah. Predicting something essentially. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there's there's a bunch. Uh, I guess the um, fairly obvious one, I guess I'll jump out with, is that in uh, a couple of the different books in the Post-Human series, uh, the ones that uh, were, uh, I'm telling something from the time frame 
of what I consider to be a very near future. Uh, so it's, it is the future, but we're not going out a century or anything. Um, and, uh, Dawn of the Singularity was also like that. It was, uh, I never say the date, but you get the okay. idea that we're in that 15 years away sort of, yes. um, timeline. And, uh, and I got the name of it wrong, I think. Uh, but I, <laughs> I would, uh, in, in both of those books, I had Og glasses, which are, you know, AR glasses seems to be what is going to catch on. Um, yes. But it's but that's what they are uh, augmented reality and um, uh, in that becoming part of everybody's uh, everyday life. Uh, so it's uh, it's interesting that Google Glass didn't didn't really catch on. It had a lot of potential, but there were there were reasons why I think it didn't catch on. But uh, the the news is that Apple's going to get into the game uh, mm. soon, and I think once they do it. Uh, then, uh, then it will become part of our lives, and you can see that that's where it's going. I mean, I, I don't have the latest iPad Pro, but the the one that came out uh, most recently has uh, lidar now, and and you can really see. I think the new iPhones that are coming out in the fall are supposed to, and you can see that this is a focus, at least of Tim Cook, uh, of just you know mapping the real world and making sure that we can. Uh, put augmented objects into it and do it in a really accurate way. Um, That's quite scary, I find. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, especially, we're, we had a guy on a few weeks ago who is a VR game designer. Mm. And it, it was yeah very interesting. He was saying about how he... he can see that it's going to be become you know this is the norm that you know right now already that uh, oculus is you know very popular um lots and that uh, it's crazy how popular it's getting but he thinks that the vr and the ar are going to get to the point where you will have people essentially just plugged into to the matrix i guess yeah uh something similar to um uh, ready player one i guess is uh um yeah i, I think so i it was uh I think I can say this now. Boy, I hope I can say this now. Uh, we can't edit this out, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, when I when I did the the book Dawn of the Singularity that it was a publisher, uh, and they created the the publishing wing for that book because uh, they 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 made video games uh, and they wanted me to write something that they could then um, build a video game around, uh, and so uh, which was really fun to be able to to universe build, uh, and then have them, you know, create this incredible, um, multiplayer, uh, PC game that they did. Um, but because they were a technology, uh, company, uh, before Oculus, uh, came out, they, they had their own headset they were working on and, um, and I got to try it and that just really blew me away what they had. And that was all the way back in, I think it was 2012 or 2013, 2012, maybe it was, uh, it blew me away then. Um, so, uh, you could see that it, these, um, this virtual, the potential for a virtual world, uh, growing and, um, and just becoming so compelling that, it, it may call to people more than the real more world. than the real yeah I, I think you've got <laughs> like these um mm what are they the, like world of warcraft the big massive multiplayer online uh, rpgs i think at the point where uh, vr or ar kind of mixes in with those then we're going to have a lot of people 
uh, with uh, IVs uh, feeding them and uh, not <laughs> not getting out, but becoming king of the orcs. I think. Or <laughs> yeah, I I don't. That's something that I don't I don't disagree with. I really? I, I mean, again, there could, there could be some sort of intervention, I suppose, but uh, but you can see a scenario where I mean, the technology would definitely allow for it, and I think it would it would be so. Uh, it would be so compelling to spend most of your time there that uh, you could see people almost becoming addicted to it. That was something that was in uh, Dawn of Singularity, that VR was already very popular, but they um, they had just, uh, it's during the course of the book that they bring out this uh, this thing called Aqualia. And, okay. um, and so they no longer have to wear this headset. I suppose it's a little bit like... Uh, like Neuralink, except it's not, it wasn't really physically going into your brain, but it could communicate with your, um, your brainwave patterns and, and just overlay, um, and, and take you into essentially, uh, what would be like, sure. Like the, like the matrix or like the, the world in ready player one. And it was pretty fantastical. And, and so I got to write it because I didn't have to be the one building it. <laughs> uh, but I got to I got to write some things and just whatever I could imagine. And and you could see why people would would much prefer to be there uh, and to be having those adventures. And um, and that's not that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, no, but that scares me to be honest. Yeah. Uh, in in which ways do you find it scary because there's there are ways you're definitely right to have some concerns but i'm interested in which ways i feel that it could lead to manipulation and control quite easily mm. um that if you have somebody who is so engrossed in this um this alternate world that, that is not real essentially that is programmed by another person um the people behind that especially as it's going to be monetized that's the thing um yeah so it just le- it, it leaves it open to a, a lot of uh, dangerous pathways i think to lead down and and you could it can be it could be controlling in the sense of they could develop it so it's purposely enticing you to stay in there and i'm not sure what the repercussions could be in the real world outside of that but i i don't know i think that it could be a dangerous path that's terrific i i think what you just I think what you just created is a concept for a book, um, for sure, and a movie. Um, so there you go. Cool. Um, okay. You, just, you should copyright that right now. But, I'll get writing uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's a little bit like um, it, it sounds a little bit like surrogates. Uh, although surrogates, they were in the real world, and they just it was like a, a robot that was going out into the world for them while they were um, they but they were in like you're describing like a mm-hmm. pod basically and controlling this thing in their physical body was deteriorating. And, uh, I think in, in ready player one, the, uh, if I'm remembering the, the actual book, it's, I guess a little bit different from the movie, but, uh, because, you know, in the movie, they've got to make sure they, they hire movie stars and they've got to yeah. be reasonably attractive, but the, the characters were described like their physical, um, it, like they they let themselves go somewhat um and uh and that a lot of people like essentially the it wasn't even just their own bodies they, they were just allowing the real world to, to to rot because who cares uh we don't really need it um, yeah and uh, as long and so, as there's power and some food uh some way of just sustaining then i guess it, it i could see that happening you know uh i've got this image of like this in my head of some dystopian uh planet where there's just these huge 
tower blocks full with people plugged into these pods and you know maybe there's just enormous fields of solar panels that are generating the electricity for it and then these food things with drips all running in and and outside it's just yeah carnage outside yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a uh, yeah i mean I, we just need to figure out a, a way to get a, a plot into it but the setting is is absolutely <laughs> a worthwhile science fiction setting and it's uh it's worthwhile i think also for um for for movies too uh it's i mean those are uh those are scenarios where you you'd like to be able to say it couldn't happen uh that one won't happen but <laughs> at the same time yeah i, I guess it could and it could. You know, we, we see little hints of that i guess with our uh, the way things are even right now, um, with the, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely true that, um, some of our, our favorite apps and, and websites, uh, make sure that they rope us in, uh, and, and they want to keep us, um, uh, on their platform for as long as possible. And, uh, and you're right when it's dollars, it, you, you can find ways to be really quite manipulative and there has to be something to, uh, stop them from doing that i think other than just um you know their honor uh or what they say uh it i find like so i was, I was gonna yeah. say i don't think honor goes into um when it comes to business so it's not very good self-regulating you know um, no because you. if they're shareholders they're kind of they're legally obliged to follow profit so they're going to do whatever they need to maximize profit and then if that means getting yeah. psychologists in to work out ways to make the app release dopamine by giving you, you know, rewards, that kind of yep. thing. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, it's one of the concerns I also have with, uh, the development of superhuman artificial intelligence. Uh, uh, there's, there's definitely ways to do it where I think it would be responsible. And I, I, I write about those in the post-human series for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the AI, uh, in the series is, is a good guy. Um, but, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, you, you do get concerned with the, the, the people that seem to seem to have the most resources, seem to have the most, um, technical know-how, uh, they're not necessarily the ones that are, um, <laughs> uh, philosophically the brightest or, uh, yes. or the most uh, socially, um, uh, aware, and um and and empathetic and so i so we you do wonder a little bit um and and that's one of the big concerns is the is that race to be the the first one uh across the the goal post uh because it because first across is will always have the dominant strategic advantage mm -hmm. uh so um first across might be the one that's not necessarily uh, the best the best, the best yeah. designed and uh, the one that was taking into consideration um, how important it is to make sure that this intelligence is uh, kind and uh, and cares about humanity is basically the main the main thing that we need to worry about. I've I've heard a few. Uh, in fact, I think Elon Musk mentioned it, saying there's this the kind of race between America and China um, developing. AI and and in, in general with technology, there's this race because yeah, whoever has this is going to be the one with control. And you know, do you want this you know, superpower A or superpower B in control? So they're both um, you know rushing for, uh, towards developing these things, and possibly that means that there are things being ignored because there's such a rush to develop it to be the first. 
Yes. Yeah. Is it, uh, where did you see that? I guess I want to watch that. I'm pretty sure that was on one of the Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, maybe the first Great. one. Okay. I'm definitely, I, I still haven't, I got to catch up on that one. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's funny because, uh, in my, both of my series, I guess, because uh, the Dawn of the Singularity, um, it, that that might continue on as a, as a series, uh, but the uh, but the posthuman series has this as well. Is that is that uh, China, U.S. Uh, and that is something that I mentioned uh, also in my TED talk. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but um, the uh, when I um, when I had to write the scripts for uh, it was for the the first two films in the posthuman series and um, submit that into management three sixty. They they said oh, China can't be in there. That's a non-starter. Really? Uh, yeah. So it had to I had wow. to change that. Uh, it's the one thing I had to change. Uh, I had to change the country that was uh, the competitor. Um, it's not something where I mean the the whole series isn't all about China versus the U.S. Uh, I mean it's something where it's a it's it's a starting point for for me to to move post that. Okay. But um, but uh, it's it's yeah it's real. I mean it's a it's a serious concern. There's no way that uh, any nation state would want another nation state to get there first, and so it becomes almost like a, a an arms race. Um, so it's it's one of those things where i i i want i really want as much as possible people to be aware um i think people who come out of reading the the posthuman series even though the series isn't finished yet uh come out of it actually feeling very optimistic and uh and if anything i think i get online you know that he's he's too optimistic um but i that's that's a little bit more just me uh and that i don't really see the the point of hand bringing but i still also don't see the point of sticking my head into the sand and uh, not seeing that uh yeah there's there's really really big challenges and concerns uh and uh and you know we definitely uh need to be uh we just as a i i think the more people are are aware of it the better because you don't want people um, to be making decisions out of out of fear, because uh, yes. I think that that's where you end up with the the shortcuts being taken. Um, we need a we need some sober second thought about how we how we build the thing. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm really glad that Elon is is trying something uh, to to go around and circumvent this uh, disaster. Yeah, Definitely. it is. I can't wait to hear more about uh, Neuralink. I hope he actually comes through. I think it's this year they, they're planning on yes. putting it in someone. Yes, they are. Um, I would, again, recommend both both of the Joe Rogan experiences uh, with, with Elon. He was on last week, I believe, the day after his um, he had his child. So he came on. Yeah. And the first one, he was quite secretive about some of the stuff. He opened up. It's very interesting. But the second one, yeah, was absolutely very insightful. And he even explained how it works properly, like which is yeah, fascinating, very scary, but Oof. very exciting. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, it's it's been on my watch list, uh, but I've been I've been writing Superhuman, which is so long. Uh, but I um, 
but you've you sold sold me on it, especially cool. hearing that. I, I find that really interesting. He's a uh, you know not all, all the things about the you know the political things recently aside because I mm-hmm. I never get into that stuff, but um, but he is quite an extraordinary thinker, and yes. I guess we're going to get a big example of that today. Um, the the fruits of that thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the way that the way that he thinks and the way that he breaks things down is something uh, that that you know I try to do too. I think that's how I ended up making the movie. Really, it's the same same type of thing. I I guess it, if we were to make an analogy, you'd have you know gas powered cars versus electric cars, and mm-hmm. then, you know film versus digital, and yep. that there's one that's obviously superior, but there's so many. Um, forces that make it very difficult to make the change. Uh, and I, I think that that's also connecting it to the present circumstance with the, with COVID. Um, it's, it's maybe the only real silver lining uh, to all of this happening is that uh, it has, um, I think it's just maybe shaken people, has been a kick to the complacency uh, and made people start looking at uh, technology in a, in a different way because of how, well, I mean, they're, they're dependent on it at first, but then, uh, I think they can start to see what the possibilities might be and what the benefits would be, um, as opposed to just all drawbacks and things, you know, the future being pretty much the way the past was and, uh, and us not being able to conquer or, um, tackle or challenge the the really big problems because it's a tool and ultimately um i think let's let's use the tools to make things better and uh, same with the the movie the movie business uh but wow is that ever just a it what a what a ride right now and in the people that i talk to that are very invested in uh in the industry say the same thing again no nobody nobody knows what's going on or, or how we're going to come out of it i think that's with a with a lot of businesses a lot of industries small businesses um it's great to see um the way that technology is actually helping so like i have seen a lot of um like you know facebook live gigs and concerts like uh, actually i watched a really good uh, festival at the weekend shout out to Meg Hayden, who played in that. And uh, there was, uh, yeah, the, the main band uh, set it all up and they had different musicians, uh, all who joined in via Zoom, I guess. And then uh, for their final set, the main band were actually out in a field live streaming from a field so it almost had this festival, you know, this festival feel and it, it, was, it was great. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would much rather be in that field with, the, you know, with, with a drink in my hand uh, dancing to the band, but uh, you know, right now it, it shows that you can, you, you can make something work from it. And so there is positive coming out of it. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, uh, the, the price is too high and it's too bad that it took that. Um, yes. but, uh, but it's, it would, it would be really a shame if we didn't, uh, use it to make things better. And it, like mm-hmm. as soon as, soon as, uh, because the change happens so quickly, but as it happened, um, you know, my thinking through, throughout that, besides from, you know, let's make sure we don't get sick, um, mm-hmm. was, uh, there's, this is, there's so much opportunity here to, to, um, to rethink things. Uh, and, and we know that there's some things that, you know, we shouldn't do, um, that, uh, that we do anyway. 
Um, and, um, and then we, we paused it for a while. And, and, uh, and I, I guess a, a great example would just be how many people were commuting to work, uh, commuting to a building. And it was, you know, far past time when they didn't really need to do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, just go and just be there just because that's, well, that's how it's always been. That's how everyone else does it. And the thinking hadn't really gone any further than that. Uh, and so, so that's one really big positive because the, the amount of time that people will save, you know, not being in, uh, in traffic. I mean, that's, that is a beautiful thing. That's a positive. Yep. I think it takes often yeah, a, a large event, a cataclysmic event to create some kind of paradigm shift because yeah, we are naturally quite complacent on, on mass anyway, as a group. Now, of course, there are people that are um, you know, pioneering things and pushing for changes. But overall, I think, yeah, it, it takes these things. Obviously, it's a sad. It's sad. There are, a lot, there are people dying and you know, yes. we are having this right now. But overall, yeah, I can see that we, hopefully we learn from it you know, and, and these kind of events create, create positive shifts. Yeah, I, I think if this happened and we didn't learn from it and we went back <laughs> exactly the way it was, I mean, it yeah. would just compound the tragedy. It remains yeah. a tragedy, but it would compound it. For sure. Um, it w one of the things I'm also really hoping for, too, is that we, um, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of, uh, well, because of my job, of course, I was doing a lot of research. And I, I knew that there was this potential for uh, uh, vaccines to come along way faster Mm -hmm. I knew that that was possible, um, but at, at the same time, I knew that this was maybe a little early. This was really going to push the tech, and that maybe the pandemic is uh, is a few years too early before yeah. a, a vaccine can be developed in six months and deployed. But um, but wow, there's some really exciting uh, there's some exciting possibilities. Some some candidates that are exciting and. Um, so it's not, uh, of course we can't count on it, but it's not impossible that there'd be a, an effective vaccine, um, this year. And that would be so much faster than it's ever happened before. But, um, but that's another, uh, another area where, you know, we're seeing that advancement in, uh, information technology and the idea that they were able to sequence COVID and, uh, like in, in China and then just put it online. I mean, it's, that's incredible. That's insane. Yeah, it's a, what a, what an what an amazing advancement. Um, so I, I guess I, I, I like to have my eyes open to everything, whether it's negative or positive. Um, but once you once you know as much as you can, uh, then okay. So what do we do? Uh, how, how do we how do we go forward and how do we make things better in whatever it is that we're we're chasing? But uh, there's there's always a way to make it better. And, and so I think it's good to be concerned that, um, that the, the tech can be perverted and especially if it's in the wrong hands and, and then just, okay, so let's do something about that then. And what can we do? What, what might be possible? Um, and, uh, yeah, I can, I can see, I can see answers. Uh, and I think that's the spirit of the, the post human series. I think so. I think, it might need people like you to spearhead some kind of movement that oversees things because, um, you know, like the, the UN for, I guess, or who, which, you know, World Health Organization, maybe they, okay, they're not the best thing right now, but something equivalent, mm -hmm. but for tech, um, for, so that you have like 
representatives from different nations and, and kind of a treaty essentially like a nuclear treaty but some kind of tech treaty or tech agree, agreement in place i mean of course countries don't necessarily stick to treaties but it could be um it, it could be something that's needed uh, a, a national or sorry international council of technology or that, that kind of thing yeah you really wish you could uh, convince uh, every every, mm-hmm. every country or every player to do that yeah um it's uh i mean it's something i think it's worthwhile to pursue and i think when you say that you know that's probably what we need it's probably what we need it really is um but at the same time you're you're also so right Uh, i mean i couldn't agree with you more when you say there's probably gonna be someone who who breaks it and Mm -hmm. uh, and so and that's something i deal with in my fiction too the 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 concept of uh, um people actually uh, you know using that communication to just you know kind of crib and yeah. get 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 ahead or catch up and then and then keep the other stuff on the down low um it, it it's part of the the nature of um just this uh, the accelerating returns of uh, the 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 price performance of technology of um of uh, software and hardware uh, and, and how quick it's um uh it's improving that there's that we will end up having a a, a circumstance where smaller and smaller and smaller groups. I'm actually realizing this has got to be part of my TED talk. Um, but it's a smaller and smaller groups will be able to develop superhuman intelligence um, because it, so much more of the the thinking, uh, so much more of the the work in the actual creation is ends up being offloaded to um, AI, artificial yep. intelligence. Yeah, already. I see. Yeah, so you you end up with. Um, a circumstance where uh, you know it's it, it is inevitable uh, that that you end up with superhuman intelligence and um, and uh, I think maybe one glimmer of hope is you know we saw with uh, we saw with COVID one of the things I was concerned with I uh, when this was beginning um, I. I was saying to my, you know, my wife, for instance, I was, I said way back in February, it's airborne. Um, it was, it was just clear to me. It's just, it's just a matter of, you know, reading the tea leaves, like the way it was being spread it, that it, I was sure it wasn't going to end up being on surfaces. And then that's, that's what happened. But at the same time, there was a real psychological pushback uh, at the time to, um, to saying that, you know, how bad this could be. And, uh, you know, I'd said to my, wife the first time i said something about it i said uh, i think i think this is looking like it's going to be the worst thing that's happened in, um, to humanity in our lifetimes and uh and that didn't you know she knows i'm a futurist and, uh, <laughs> and when i say something like that it's like oh no uh <laughs> if he's saying it that's maybe he's maybe it's going to actually happen and uh and it, and it felt really bad about that and i I, I didn't want to, um, you know, frighten people or uh, scare people. Um, but what they did that surprised me and and made me pretty happy was um, was they uh, the, the fact that the social distancing even happened um, and the fact that that people like they just went into action so quick uh, showed me that when when there's an immediate danger that. Uh, you know, when when you can demonstrate to people um, how dangerous something is, that they, that they will uh, 
do extraordinary things and that they're capable of doing extraordinary things. And so, um, but, but it needs to be like that. Uh, I guess you you were saying that we were complacent. So you need that, that kick in the complacency. Um, when it comes to AI, I think it's a matter of, uh, if, if we could get uh, people to realize that, you know, just trying to be first isn't, uh, isn't in your own best interest. Like you, you might think it is, uh, but it, but it isn't if you're not being really careful yeah. and yeah. if they could just understand that then, uh, because, you know, nobody wants, or very few people want to, uh, kill themselves in, in the whole world. <laughs> no, no, so. but I think people, um, people want to be on top and they want to be number one. So, um, they don't realize that in doing so they could, <laughs> they could kill themselves the whole world <laughs> yeah and, and so they need to know more uh, yeah. so i think it's uh, that's the the information that needs to Definitely. come across um as as much as possible and in in a way that's as uh digestible as possible mm-hmm. um, yeah and that's why i'm doing it in a in a fiction book with uh, that should be fun um and and hopefully eventually well not hopefully eventually movies uh yeah. because uh i think that i think that will help I think so. That's the goal. Um, I would actually just just to uh, I've been popping up on the uh, there's a chat going on and uh, um, I should ask a few questions because people have been asking some questions and I think uh, um, if you don't mind answering them uh, from people on the live thing that's cool. Yeah, I don't I don't mind at all. Um, uh, first of all, hello guys. Uh, I've been I've been chatting and not looking at the, at the live chat. <laughs> Uh, this looks amazing. Great. Thank you. Uh, the short is a really good short film. Thank you very much. Um, we've got the, uh, what was it? What would, uh, what would change now if you can go back in the making of dangerous to know? What would change now? That is a good question. That's a great question. Um, I think, uh, Jenny and I have, have figured out, uh, what we absolutely needed to have. Um, and what we didn't need to have. So we, we had more with us. We had more uh, tech with us than we actually ended up using and needing. Uh, so we could be more streamlined. But uh, there's, there's some things that uh, I, I would absolutely love to have. Um, and I'm not sure in 2016 if this was really possible without mm-hmm. some really expensive equipment, but it is possible now uh, to have someone um editing in in real time uh someone like taking your footage and and piecing together the shots that you think are probably going to be the shot because nine times out of ten uh you know if you do 10 takes there's you're the one you think is the best one is the best one and ends up being the one in the movie and so you could end up with um you know, it's not just the, I guess they called it dailies back when they had um when they were using film someone would literally cut the film together or just show the footage the next day to the director and, and everybody. But, um, but with this would be like hourlies or half hourlies. I mean, every, every time you, you film a sequence, you could watch a rough cut of it and, uh, and that would speed up post-production dramatically. Um, and I can imagine having a, a, a sound designer on set as well, actually putting together sound as, as, uh, as we're, as we're making the movie. So, so that the post-production, which ended up being for us the longest thing, uh, would be dramatically cut down. Uh, and so instead of it taking three and a half years, uh, 
with the addition of just a couple of people. And now that Jenny and I have demonstrated that we can make a movie, you know, getting someone in for this next one, it's not such a crazy idea anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be possible. And I think we could have it finished really quick within, within a matter of months instead of um, two or three years. Uh, that must be stressful to be honest, you know, like uh, being kind of locked into this, this, project and it's like almost you know do or die because you're putting everything into this um yes. it's not like it's just a few months of you know if it is it's like oh don't worry you know in three months time we'll be you know back back to normality when you're like shit i don't know if this is another year two years and then three years into it it's yes yeah i think uh jenny is uh is like Yes, Ash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scream, screaming right now. <laughs> yeah, it was so stressful. Uh, it, yeah, it was. Um, I, I didn't I didn't know that it was going to take as long as it did. The The bottlenecks were just silly things. Like, um, it, it was a time period where, if, you know, I don't think anyone cares anymore, but uh, in, in 2017, 2018 was when uh, Apple was just taking forever to update um their their desktops and so that they're just really slow uh and um and then once uh, i think it was in june 2018 once we had a uh it, it was before we didn't get a um an imac pro but we got the best imac when they made the iMac pro announcement because the, even the regular one they'd spec it way up beyond where it was <laughs> and uh and that sped us up so much nice. the software ran so well uh, and I think in in the next six months, we did as much as we'd done in the previous two years combined. It was uh, so that really helped a lot. Um, but I didn't know that it was going to uh, take so take so long, um, and I didn't know uh, how detailed, say, something like sound design actually was. Uh, you know, editing dialogue. But I'm glad that I learned all of those things because when I or if I do. Uh, a movie that's anything like the traditional way that movies are done, um, you know, nobody is going to be able to pull a fast one on me. Um, nice, that's great. Yeah, I'll know how it's done. I'll There's another. Um, some I think this actually kind of links into what you were just saying. Um, someone's somebody's asked about what um, what the missing uh, tech is that you need to move forward. Um, I'm not sure if that's directed at at the film, but I'm guessing. I'm guessing that's what they are talking about. Mm, what's the what's the missing tech you need to move forward? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I I think that the in in 2016 um, being able to take shots that we had done and uh, and then to uh, send them over to someone who's working on a MacBook Pro and that that MacBook Pro would have been able to run the software we needed because everything that we used, the software that we used to make the movie was uh, DaVinci Resolve. And that is just professional software, not expensive. In fact, free if you had one of their cameras, which we did. Um, really? So you can make a film literally using free software? Yes. Like, I would have assumed that that would have been something that costs thousands, you know, uh, yeah, thousands of dollars. Yeah, I think at the time, I think when we started, the software was a thousand dollars. They've since lowered it to I think it's three hundred ninety nine, something around that right. number. But if you bought one of their cameras, and their cameras were so much cheaper, even though um, spec wise they they had the same capabilities, like they could film in RAW, 
Um, and, uh, and so if you compared that to, you know, a red or an area Alexa, these are, those cost, you know, luxury car, um, prices, but, uh, but these cameras, um, especially the one that I filmed, the the short film with was, uh, $999. Um, and the, uh, the cinema camera that we used, I think was, um, maybe 3000. Um, so you got the software for free. Um, the, the issue was that, um, we didn't have the, the computers to, um, that could keep up. Um, but that's not a problem anymore that you can get an iMac or a MacBook pro, uh, the, the hardware is caught up to the software. So having somebody, you know, with a, with a reasonable, um, MacBook pro on, on set would be really all you would need. And having a separate person, uh, because the DaVinci Resolve, uh, you know, you do color grading, you do editing, but you can also, you can do VFX in there, but you can uh, also do the sound. And we did the sound design in there as well. Um, because they have a component of it called Fairlight and, uh, it's professional sound design. So, uh, you could have someone taking care of that and wow, the way, I mean, at that point you'd have actors actually being able to see, um, you know, roughly color graded, but like 90% of how it's going to end up looking, uh, and then edited and with even some sound and you could actually watch a scene. And if you decide, I don't know, I don't know if we got it, you, you could actually go back and film which is just not something that you would have been able to do in the past. Um, and I, I know actors would just love to be able to watch a sequence actually edited because it's, I think it's very hard for them to imagine um, when you're, when you're explaining, you know, I just need you for this one shot. Where does that fit in the sequence? It's um, I was doing storyboards uh, for the movie and, uh, and I would, I would, that would be the first thing I would do is uh, in the morning I'd be storyboarding the things that we're going to film and I would show uh, the actors and take them through it. I'd, I'd show Jenny and take her through it. And uh, I don't know why it took me so long, but it was, I guess, about a week and a half in. And uh, I realized that every time we were there and we had the camera, that they go, so what are we doing? <laughs> and it was just, I was just wasting my time. Uh, so um, I, I stopped doing that. And I think it, what's more helpful to them is to, to see it coming together and uh, be able to adapt with it and change with it. Did they give feedback as you were, uh, like, I'm, I'm guessing the actors were experienced in working in, in film. So um, mm -hmm. were, they, were you learning from them or were they, and how was it uh, actually working alongside, alongside them, knowing that you're learning everything from scratch? Great question. Um, it's, uh, it, it, was, it was different depending on who the actor was. Uh, so, so there were definitely actors that I think were, even though I, I warned everybody, um, that this is really small. Um, the production is really small, but our ambition is, is giant. That mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, the bar, the bar is set that, um, you know, David Fincher, girl, the dragon tattoo, you know, gone girl, like that kind of cinematography, that kind of production value. Um, and, uh, yet, you know, behind the scenes, it, it's just going to look so different. It's going to look like we're, um, at, at best making some little YouTube movie or something. And, uh, and you just, I, I think what got some people to go along with it was just the resume, at least. I mean, if they looked me up, they could see, okay, so he's a bestseller in science fiction and he's done a Ted. I mean, he, he can't be a complete lunatic. kind <laughs> 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 of go along with it. Um, but I think that, that it was different with different, uh, different actors like that, uh, 
but she she won't mind me singling her out in this way. I think Bridget was the one that embraced it the most. I think she embraced it the most. So she was the one that um, uh, believed that doing it this way could work um, and and seemed to uh, prefer it that way, actually, uh, because there there's there's so much freedom. Um, things are so tightly controlled usually on the sets that she's on. And it, it's great to have all these assistants. And I think it's great to uh, have people pumping your tires and everything. <laughs> Try to pump your tires anyway. But uh, <laughs> it, it, at the same time, it, it's like, um, it, 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 you know, there's the script supervisor. I mean, there, how much freedom is there necessarily? And, unless maybe you're very powerful, you're a producer also on it. And uh, and so for, for her, I, I think... Uh, I think she really loved that. I think for some of the actors that were only there for a day or two days, mm-hmm. uh, it was more uh, confusing. And and so I I feel like we had good relationships with all of them. And I feel, especially now that they've seen a fair amount of it, that they're excited. Um, at the time, uh, I'm not. I didn't. I didn't get the vibe. I, I think I got the impression sometimes that they they didn't. Well, this isn't going to be anything. This can't be anything. If it's not um, what they're used to, that's the thing. You know, if it's if it's something new and uh, it's like breaking the mold of what they're used to, and they don't, they haven't witnessed success from it, so they're probably going to be naturally dubious. Yeah, I mean, when you're seeing something and it's the it's the first time, and then it, it I'm sure it it could feel like a, like maybe it's going to be a student film, or maybe maybe it's worth attaching myself to this guy because, you know, he'll make this thing and no one will see, but then mm-hmm. the next thing might be good. Um, but, uh, but this one is good. I mean, I, cool. I it, it's this, my standard is really high. And I, I told uh, the two leads, Bridget and Andrew, um, that like, if it's not good, I won't even release it. I mean, if it doesn't work, <laughs> uh, because I'm not going to put my name on something that everyone's going to hate or make fun of forever. Um, good it's got to be good. And, uh, and, and so I, I knew it was possible. Like there wasn't anything, um, even though the, the method we were using to film it was different. I knew that what we could put in front of the screen, that there was, there was nothing that, um, there was no magic ability that someone else has. Like I, I, David Fincher, I, I mean, he's amazing. Quentin Tarantino is amazing. Scorsese. I mean, you, we can go through the list. Um, but they don't have, uh, some magical ability to no. make, you know, a, two actors in a room, um, you know, with with some dialogue, somehow um, better than me. If I can, if no, I can master the techniques. Yep. Um, we all have that ability, and any of us can do it. It just depends if we, you know, if we have passion for it, if we want to do it. But any of us can can learn to do it. Definitely, I agree a hundred percent. I think it's just putting your mind to it and actually willing to kind of make that, take that plunge, take that step to make the plunge, which you've obviously done and it's been successful so far. Which I, I oh, it froze a little bit. I think it's pretty groundbreaking, you know, like yeah, it would be cool um, feedback from it. I think it, that could be like quite a, quite a stepping stone for other people, like or inspiration for other people to to be like, whoa, shit, I, I can do this too, which is great. And then that, that just re- kind of revolutionizes the whole filmmaking game. 
I hope it will. I, I've got uh, a couple of articles on No Film School that I did during the, the Kickstarter, and those cool. went, they, they were, went pretty viral. And I tried to break it down as much as I could in, in that short amount of space, how I did it. But the, the goal with there was to inspire people to, to do it as well. Because I, I, it, this is really hard to do. There's no mm-hmm. question. But I also know that it, um, technology-wise, like, the current circumstance we have to let's just say when when we come out of this and we can be together again and we can uh, have actors around um that that technology wise uh it's it's easier to do there's more capability there's things that should help people do it faster and the fact that they can look at um, one that's been done that way now um i i think should inspire people to say and you know just like i said that stuff about uh, Fincher and Tarantino and Scorsese, uh, I also don't have any magical ability, uh, to do something different with the actors or do something different, uh, in a room with some dialogue. Um, we, we all have the ability to learn those things. So if you, if you really want it, uh, you can, you can definitely do it. It's possible to do. The budget was not, uh, really high. I mean, I think most of the if if we were to say anything was the budget, it was just the time uh, that Jenny and I, like, I, you know, if, if I'm working on the movie, I'm not writing a novel. And if I'm not, if I don't have a new novel, I don't have all that, you know, income coming in. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways you could calculate it. Um, and I, I was really lucky that I could go all in and I didn't have to, um, you know, work a, some sort of nine to five job at the same time. But yeah. um but it can be done. I know it can be done. Um, the amount of days that we actually spent filming, I mean, it's possible to do that. It, it is, even if you've got a job, you know, that's on vacation, that's on weekends, mm-hmm. um, but it is possible. Uh, you just have to, you just have to believe it. Amazing. I feel that, that this has been really, really inspirational and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, there are budding filmmakers <laughs> going to watch this and and hopefully get inspired because i mean uh, yeah it, anyone can do anything when they put their mind to it and i think that's just such an important thing to to remember so yeah, uh, yeah. do you have anything that you want to uh shout out or go over before we um wrap this up because we have been uh how long have we been i think we've been about 90 minutes which is almost a film right yeah almost <laughs> awesome uh yeah i I think uh, we're really close on um, our YouTube channel, on uh, the David Simpson YouTube channel to, uh, I said in the video, I I made a video promoting this actually last night. And I said, it's uh, uh, when we become a real YouTube channel, we get the thousand subscriber and unlock uh, all those uh, those extra tools that we would have. Mm -hmm. I think we have a little over 950 now. Uh, So we're, incredibly close um and uh and so if people want to check out that channel that channel is actually where the trailer uh i think both trailers and i think uh something like seven or eight extended clips from dangerous to know are there uh so if you're if you're interested in seeing some of it and seeing what we did um those clips are also on vimeo and there's also a kickstarter and the kickstarter campaign's over uh, but on the Kickstarter campaign is where all the links are to, uh, so it's dangerous to know the movie. Uh, and, uh, there's links to all the media. Um, uh, Mike Flanagan supported us as, a, a he's a, uh, the creator and the, uh, director 
uh, and showrunner, I think, of uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Um, and he did uh, The Shining sequel, Doctor Sleep, and uh, Oculus, and uh, so many other incredible movies. Um, right. And there's, a, there's an article about that uh, in the media. Uh, but just everything you'd, you'd want to know uh, about me and what I'm planning on doing. Uh, is still still there as like a historical document um, and superhuman uh, my next book will be out uh, really soon and there's a pre-order on Amazon and actually the novel version of dangerous to know uh, there's a pre-order for that as well on Amazon so those will be and these uh, are Kindle yep, yep. Cool. these will be okay. uh, Kindle exclusive at first great brilliant Thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant, really, really insightful. And uh, I'd love to love to have you on again at some point. Um, I'm following everything, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the film as soon as it's out. And I'll make sure to share it around. Uh, I'll put up any links in uh, that you send over to me in the description of this video afterwards and on the podcast channels. So, yeah, thank you Perfect. so much for your time. Uh, it was really great to uh, finally get to meet you and yes. talk to you. What a, what a fun you. way to do it, Ash. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be in person at some point one day after this whole uh, thing lifts. Yeah, very soon. Cool. Thanks. Nice one. <laughs> thank well, you. thank you very much. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. That was David Simpson on Shifty Perspective. I had so much fun as always. I absolutely love doing this and I love the support that we've been getting. It's great that you guys have left some questions. Of course, any other questions you can leave in the comments section below. If you've got any guest requests, we've got some exciting guests coming up every week so far. It's been pretty mind-blowing. So I feel very thankful to, to be able to speak to these insightful people. So just remember, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the thumbs up. And if you've got social media, we're on Instagram or we're on Facebook. So uh, look up Shifty Perspective. If you have uh, iTunes or any other podcast app, you can download this podcast probably tomorrow. And yeah, keep following us. And thank you so much. Enjoy we, I've enjoyed this a lot. Cheers. Good night, guys. <laughs>